Welcome back to the Preparing to Plant podcast. My name is Mitchell Slater. It is my joy and my privilege to get to lead this new church plant, River Oaks Clover Hill, here in Maryville, Tennessee. Should be launching uh, later this fall. And this podcast is an opportunity for us to come and to let God's Word guide us and lead us and shape how we plant this church. So we're going through Paul's final letter, the book of 2 Timothy. And today we've come to the end of chapter 2. So we'll be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. We're going to just read this section by section. So first we'll read verses 14 through 19. Paul says to Timothy, Remind them of these things, and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and that everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So we've all heard the, uh, the saying, we've all said it as a kid, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Right? And, and the Bible shows that that is just categorically false, right? It's categorically false. Words have a huge impact, right? The book of Proverbs says the power of life and death is in the tongue. And Paul is showing us that here. When he says don't quarrel about words, it's literally two Greek words put together. The word that means words and the word that means battle. So it's battle over words. It's a verbal dispute. It's verbal jousting. He's saying avoid that. right? And that was in his day in the first century. But in our day, in the 21st century, we live in the digital age, which has become the age of outrage, right? The internet is just filled with verbal jousting, right? Quarreling about words. That's what it's filled with, right? If the Apostle Paul could see the comment sections on YouTube or Facebook or Twitter, right? It's a mess. It's a mess. And Paul is calling us to not be a part of that, right? To be countercultural. If that was the case in his day, it's even more the case in ours. For us to be a countercultural witness when there's this war of words going on around us all the time. And he says the reason is because this actually ruins the hearers, right? Not just ruins the speakers. Paul actually assumes that if someone is speaking this kind of irreverent babble that he talks about, he mentions these two false teachers who are teaching the resurrection has already happened. If they're teaching that kind of thing, he's assuming the hearers or the speakers are already pretty bad off. He says it ruins the hearers. It corrupts those who hear it. That's a warning for all of us. Even if we don't participate in the verbal jousting of our day, even just listening to it, having our minds just soak in it can ruin us, it says. It can bring us from bad to worse. And ultimately, again, the worst kind of, of words in this sense is false teaching. You know, he, he mentions the false teaching of saying the resurrection has already happened. And by the way, as an aside, that's still 
a false teaching that's around today. It's actually growing. It's called hyperpreterism. Okay, preter is a Latin word meaning in the past. They would say that all of God's promises have already been fulfilled in the past. There's nothing that we're looking forward to. It's a false teaching. It ruins its hearers. But that's just one example. There are so many. But he says it's like gangrene. That's a, that's a vivid illustration. It's like gangrene, how it just spreads and destroys. But there's an encouragement here. Paul says the Lord knows those who are his. His firm foundation stands. He knows. And that's a reference back to the book of Numbers, specifically with Korah's rebellion. If you remember, you had Moses, the true leader of God's people, and Korah rising up as a usurper, as a false leader. And God judged between the two. The Lord knows who are his. In our day, that seems filled with false teachers, filled with false gospels and false Jesuses being preached. The Lord knows who are his. The Lord will settle it all. And that's encouraging. And what we need to do is exactly what Paul tells us to do. He says, do your best. This is verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Now, of course, that applies to someone like Timothy, to someone who's in formal church leadership, someone who's doing a lot of public teaching and preaching, but it applies to all of us. And he literally says, we want to cut straight with the word of God. That's what it means. We want to rightly handle this word. Because even though there's all of these words that are being propagated throughout our world, throughout our culture, throughout the internet, all of these these terrible words that spread like gangrene, we have the word of God, the capital W word. We have that word, that scripture. So we want to be a workman who's approved. We want to do our best in this area. We want to rightly divide the word, cut straight with the word. We want to know the Bible, know how to apply the Bible. We all need that. Yes, your ministers, your pastors, your elders, they need to know that, but they're an example to the flock so that you can grow in that area. And that's it. We care deeply about every member ministry. And so we want every member of River Oaks Clover Hill to be cutting straight with the word of God. We want a church with people that have open Bibles, reading the Word, studying the Word, praying the Word, applying the Word, living the Word. That's what we want. But then Paul continues in verses 20 and 21 by saying, Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Now, it's pretty clear what Paul's talking about. The great house is the church. There are different vessels within that house. Some are of wood and clay for dishonorable use. That is the false teachers and the false teaching. But there are other vessels for honorable use, made of gold and silver. And he says, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy. Now, that's interesting. 
it's helpful to understand what Paul means by holiness here. If we look back into the tabernacle and the temple in the Old Testament. So sometimes we think about holy, and we just think about morality, right? We're moral, we're ethical, that means we're holy. That's certainly one part of holiness, no doubt. But there's more to it than that. You see, in the Old Testament, just to take one example, is in the tabernacle, they would have shovels. And those shovels would be used for shoveling incense onto the altar and doing different work with um, the altars of incense, the altars of sacrifice, things like that. And it, it says that even the shovels in the tabernacle are holy. Now, isn't that interesting, right? How can a shovel, how can a tool be holy? Well, that's because it has a lot less to do with morality, and it has to do with being separated unto God and to his use only. That shovel was holy because it wouldn't be used for anything else. You wouldn't go take it and dig a hole in your backyard. You wouldn't go use it for just normal, ordinary use. It was set apart for the Lord's tabernacle, the Lord's temple. That's literally what the word holy means. It means set apart. And so he's saying that here, that we we need to be set apart for the Lord's use. That's what it means. And specifically in the context of our words, it means our words need to be set apart. We don't need to use our words in one breath to tear people down, to join into this verbal jousting, to have words of gangrene. And then in the next breath, to have words of truth, words from the Lord, words from Scripture. No, he's saying, be set apart. Be holy. And he says... I love this. He'll be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Don't you want that? Don't you want to be useful? Right? It's what I want. Now, we shouldn't want great things. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that. It's good to be ambitious, but as we plant this church, we don't, we shouldn't go out there expecting, oh, this is going to be a mega church. It's people are going to flock in all of these things, right? Thousands of people are going to come into the church. If the Lord wants to do that, then that's great. But that's not on my radar at all. And to be honest, a mega church isn't on my radar at all. I'd rather have uh, many, many smaller churches all throughout this area than one super church. Right, and that is really our long-term goal, if the Lord wills, is to plant churches all over this area. But even that, it's good to have goals, but ultimately, all I want for myself, all I want for you, all I want for the members of our church is to be useful. I just want to be useful. I want the master of the house to be able to use me and use our church for whatever purpose he has. That's it. So we would be ready for every good work. Every good work he has prepared beforehand for us to walk in, Ephesians 2.10, which means he has prepared good works for us in our community as we plant this new church. We just want to be useful. So let that be our prayer, that we would be set apart as holy, useful to our master in this new church. That's what we want. And then finally, Paul finishes this chapter in verses 22 through 26. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, 
love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently, enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So here we get to the positive, right? We've seen the negative with our words here, and Paul still references it, right? They're youthful passions, right? When you hear youthful passions, we sometimes just think, oh, he's talking about sexual sin. No, 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 he's talking about our words, right? Young people tend to enjoy verbal jousting, right? They like to to get into quarrels, get into contentions, get into debates. He's saying, flee those youthful passions. He says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. They only breed quarrels. So again, we've seen the negative, but what's the positive? What does it look like to be useful to the master, ready for every good work, even with our words? What does it look like? Well, first of all, it looks like pursuing the right attitudes and posture of the heart. Paul says, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. This is Paul's put-off-and-put-on put on principle that he uses so much. Go look at Ephesians chapter 4, Colossians chapter 3. He uses them there. There are things to put off, in this case, youthful passions, and things to put on, righteousness, faith, love, and peace. So it's not just about what we stop doing, but what we start doing. It's not just about putting away bad habits with our speech, but about what do we replace that with. And Paul says, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach. Again, our words should be saturated with God's word, able to teach. He says, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. So kindness isn't the same thing as niceness. Okay, I've heard it said that the evangelical church has added a commandment. There's an 11th commandment, thou shalt always be nice. Right? That's not the truth. Paul has intense words. He just spoke intensely against those two false teachers. But we are to be kind. And kindness means correcting. So he says, but correct with gentleness. Again, it's not just in the words we say, but in the way we say them, in the way we present them, in the way we communicate. We correct with gentleness. We lead people to the truth. We, we try to lead people away from error and into the truth of God's word. That's our goal. And Paul says the end goal in all of this is that perhaps people may be granted repentance. Perhaps they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. Right. So the stakes are high. There are people in our community who are still ensnared by the devil. And we can bring words of life, words of the gospel that can bring them to their senses. The Holy Spirit can open their eyes and grant them the gifts of faith and repentance, and they can be saved. We can help rescue souls for all eternity. That's a much better way to use our words. right? So as we go to plant this church, let's be kind and kind enough to share the gospel even if it's unpopular, even if people don't want to hear it. Let's not get entangled in all of this verbal jousting. 
and let's proclaim the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's the end of 2 Timothy chapter 2. Next time we will jump into chapter 3. That means we're halfway through the book. And so, until next time, may the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.